we are not in a series right now. And what I have to share with you is a one-off rambling thoughts of Matt Whitlock, okay? <laughs> Everyone, it's okay, lock the doors, quick, lock the doors, they're gonna leave. <laughs> and this is my opportunity to share with you some things that are on my heart, some things I've been thinking about. And really, the only way I can title my sermon this morning is this, coronavirus and politics. I'm serious. That's exactly what I'm going to talk about this morning. <laughs> because all of you live the rest of your week outside of here, and all of you are bombarded by the media constantly. I mean, let's think about coronavirus for a moment. Do you realize that media will spin anything to get your eyeballs and to get your ears? They will do whatever it takes to create as much drama and fear to get you to search for them, buy their papers, and listen to them. Media thrives on spreading fear and drama to get you captured to follow along with them. Why? So they can promote more advertising to you. <laughs> They're not at all concerned with getting you the really appropriate information. They just want to get a hold of your eyeballs. And we're in a situation with this coronavirus that is probably, in some ways, a pandemic of fear spreading to all people. Do you realize that the coronavirus has infected under 100,000 people in this season? But do you know that the flu globally has infected 1 billion people during this season? Do you realize that more people have died from the flu than have even thought about even having the coronavirus during this season? Yet no one's talking about that. No, no one wants those facts because... We want to spread fear. You do not have to live in fear. You have to get a hold of the facts. And here's a fact. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by a designer by the name of God. And he's made your body in such a way that you can actually build your immune system and defeat viruses. That you have the capacity to feed yourself certain things, to sleep for a certain amount of hours, to go for walks and get vitamin D. And that actually gives you the ability to build your immune system, and you can defeat any virus that might come upon you. So here's my encouragement to you during this coronavirus season. <laughs> Eat less sugar. <laughs> Sleep a little bit more. Eat some ginger. Buy some supplements. Elderberry, echinacea. But let me say something with this, okay? If that elderberry tastes like candy... It's probably because they load it with a bunch of sugar also, okay? So you got to watch that one, you know? It's like, oh, I want something healthy. Wow, 50 grams of sugar along with a little bit of echinacea. That sounds awesome. No, that's not awesome. They're just trying to sell you on more things. Get the raw stuff. Eat ginger. Eat pears. Eat chicken broth in the morning. Feed your body things that build your immune system because you've been given the capacity to do that. You can fight these viruses that might try to come. And when the fear starts spreading, get the facts. Because we don't want to be caught in this fear. I'm, I, I'm, I'm seeing it in people's eyes, the, the panic around the idea of coronavirus. You know what the coronavirus has spread more of? Probably, sadly, racism. The stories that are coming out of how people are treating those of Asian descent is terrible. And the media is fueling this whole thing. Get the facts. Don't be caught in fear. Know that you've been made by God. You have the ability to boost your immune system. 
Spend a little time out in the sun, eat some better food, get some rest, think some happier thoughts. As we know, those are things that lower our immune system. And be healthy because you don't have to live in fear. Amen? Whoa. Okay, well, you're clapping for that one. You're not going to clap for the next one. Politics. Boom, I got 21 minutes. Let's get this one out of the park. We live in a current cultural moment where a type of relating to each other is rampant. It's called canceling each other. Have you heard of this? Cancel culture is the new rage. It's this ability that while you might cancel your Disney Plus subscription and you might cancel your 24-hour fitness membership, (laughs) when you meet people that don't agree with you, you can also cancel them. This has become rampant in our culture, uh, never more prevalent than people that are in the public eye. As soon as they do anything we don't like, we cancel them, shut them down, ruin their career. But that's not just for famous people. We do it to one another. I don't have to listen to you because you don't think the way I think. You don't view things the way I view them. You are canceled. And this culture has created a situation where people feel like they can't express what they think for fear of being canceled. And probably no more prevalent is cancel culture happening in the political discussion, where family members are literally canceling family members because of different ideas on politics. This canceling culture is rampant amongst us, yet we don't have to get caught in this canceling culture. I had dinner with some friends in Seattle not too long ago. And of course, like every dinner with friends, politics comes up at some point and we're talking about different things. And I shared my appreciation for some things that Trump has done, at which time my friend responded to me, get out of my house. <laughs> and I was waiting for him to start laughing because it was a long pause. <laughs> I had another friend that told the story of a church. He was having a prayer meeting and his co-leader, the one who was actually leading the prayer meeting, was sitting next to him, and people started coming in. And a woman comes in, and she runs up next to my friend and says, hey, did you know we have somebody here that's not a Christian? He said, how do you know? She said, I saw him drive, drive in with a Democrat sticker on the back of his car. <laughs> Little did she know that the guy leading the prayer meeting, that was his car. We've got ourselves caught in this making judgment, canceling each other out around this idea of politics, yet we don't need to. You know why? Because we already know our king, and we already know the kingdom we're a part of. Now, when Jesus walked on the earth, he got 12 disciples, as we know, and he picked very young people who had some affiliation as friendships and worked in similar arenas, but there were two people listed in his, as his 12 disciples that had very different of views. In fact, he picked two people that had very different political views, and that was that of Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot. You couldn't have picked two more opposite people who would have loved to beat each other up than Simon and Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. In some respects, he believed in big government. He believed that government should run everything and government should have their hand on everything, even the hand on the money in everyone's pocket. Where Simon didn't believe that at all. He, he believed in small government. His, his whole perspective was rallying a young generation to stand up and say, we need to take this nation for ourselves. 
Yet ironically, in Scripture, we see them working, living, sleeping together for 24-7, hanging out all the time, around the fire, socializing, doing ministry of Jesus, but we never have any record of any conflict. In fact, in Jesus' absence, they still keep working together. Now, why would that be? Well, because Jesus came in with a bigger vision. Jesus came in with a new future. Jesus came in to say that I'm the king and the kingdom that I'm bringing is superior to any political position that each one of you might have. Jesus said, I have a political vision that's unflawed. And my political vision is the only unflawed vision. And this is it. My kingdom will reign forever. And there'll be a point where my kingdom will reign forever here on earth. And no one else had anything better than that. And it trumped anything that people had. It spoke over, it stood over any other political ideal. In Jesus' kingdom, he said, I don't just promote justice and flourishing for some. I promote justice and flourishing for all. And this kingdom sounds so good, it's almost too good to be true. At which time Jesus said, well, that's because this kingdom is not of this world. It's newer. It's bigger. It's huge. It's brighter. It's better than anyone can have. And you are now part of this kingdom. I am now your king. And now I am bringing this kingdom. And Simon the Zealot. And Matthew the tax collector said, we can buy into that. And because of that bigger vision, because of that perspective, they were able to get along despite their differenting political ideas. It never refers that each one of them ever changed their political ideas. It never says they ever weren't committed to them. But they saw a bigger picture. They saw a bigger vision that Jesus brought to them. They saw something where everyone had justice and everyone had flourishing. Now, Paul writes frequently about politics in his letters. Paul and Peter both write prolifically on this topic. Paul writes an entire chapter to the church in Rome about this topic. Paul writes to a guy named Titus in Crete about this topic. Paul writes to a young guy named Timothy about this topic. And we know Peter also speaks about the very topic of government and politics. And so I'm going to read you a verse this morning that I think Paul gives us the beginning of kind of the manifesto of how we're meant to look at the world. But before I read this verse, I need to clarify with you, when Paul says kings and government, you need to know who he's talking about. You need to know the king and the government that he's living under. Paul, Peter, and many of the New Testament writers lived during a time when the church was flourishing. And while it was flourishing, there was a gentleman that was leading the known world out of the city of Rome named Nero. Nero was the main leader. He was the one that was in power. And Nero was peculiar. I'm not even sure if peculiar is the right word. Maybe psychotic is a better word. <laughs> Nero took the power of the known world at the age of 16. At the moment, he thought his mom might threaten his leadership. He killed her. Nero began to reign to the point that while leading, he wanted to demonstrate to everyone how free he was. And so he married a young boy and went corner to corner to announce his marriage to this young boy. It was even said that Nero had a disgusting affection for his own sister. Nero killed anyone that came against him or had anything to say about him. But also Nero loved the arts, ironically. And so he liked to sing opera. And what he would do is organize big opera competitions, at which time when everyone gathered into the space for the opera, he'd have his centurions lock all the doors, cancel all the competitors, and he would be the only one that would sing. And then at the end, declare himself the winner. History tells us that women would fake childbirth just to get out the door because the singing was so bad. 
Nero instituted savage acts of gladiator battles, loved savagery and people seeing these different things. But he was also weird in that though he was the leader of the known world, he had an appetite to rob people. It was said that Nero would go around the streets of Rome at night in a cloak and rob fellow citizens. And we know this story because one guy actually fought back, beat Nero up and almost killed him, only to be shocked to realize he just beat up the leader of the known world. And that story went viral. Nero was the one that decided that his palace wasn't big enough, and so he burned his palace down, but he needed more space, so he decided to burn the entire city of Rome down, at which time centurions were stabbing people as they were trying to put the fires out in their home. When the fires had all finished and the whole city had been burned down, he threw himself into the rescue efforts, only to build his home four or five times larger than it was previously. Of course, people began to ask questions. So Nero needed an scapegoat. Who did he blame? the Christians. And a massive persecution broke out. And at the time of this writing, many of these letters are being written during this persecution when this leader of the known world is abusing his power, killing people, distorted in his worldview, has no understanding for policy for everyone, only thinking about himself. And so Paul's going to write to the believers in the church and say, this is how you're meant to live. This is the perspective you're meant to have during this difficult political season. Sad thing is, it was actually Nero that killed Paul and killed Peter. So hear what Paul and Peter have to say about how Christians are meant to live and how they're meant to work amongst, amidst their political leaders. I think in some ways, Paul's comments to Titus gives us the broadest picture of what his heart is going to be in his other writings. This is what Paul says to Titus in chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. Paul says, remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. What? Paul, do you know who Nero is? Like, do you know what this guy is doing? Do you know what his governors are doing in our cities and our towns? And you're saying to submit? You're saying to not say anything bad? You're saying don't even complain and be gentle? Paul probably would tell us, yes, because you already have your king and you're already in your kingdom. And your king's name is Jesus and his kingdom will reign forever. So when I was reading through the different scriptures and realizing that this is the, the picture that Paul's trying to give the new church and their role in society at that time. And I'm thinking about our time now as America moving into its election year, spending our lives in some ways in fear of what we might say because we're stuck in a cancel each other out culture. I thought, what is kind of our vision for this year? How are we meant to live during this year? Because after all, we should live differently. What's the perspective Paul and Peter gives us to live? And I saw three main things that they want to encourage us in. First, they want to encourage us to pray for our leaders. Second, they're going to encourage us to submit to our leaders. And third, they're going to encourage us to love others that have different political views than our own. The first one, pray for those who lead us. Paul gives this beautiful picture to Timothy in his first letter to him to give him an understanding of what Timothy's role is leading the church and their role in that political time in the city of Ephesus. Paul says, I urge you, first of all, pray for all people. 
Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Then he gets more specific. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Paul starts out by saying, here's the picture, here's your role. You have your king, you have the kingdom that reigns forever. Now this is what I want you to do. Pray for those who are leading you. And we all said, "Uh uh-uh. Because what happens oftentimes is we never use the words about our leaders to pray. We mostly use the words to point out things we might not like or to try to convince others of things that they should like. But Paul's saying, don't waste your words there. Get on your knees. If you think about it, how much time do we spend talking about politics versus how much time do we spend praying for the leaders that are in politics? The reality is it's probably pretty small. I don't know about you, but I can't specifically think of a block of more than maybe 15 minutes where I was conscious to even pray for my current leader. I'm just being honest. But Paul says, here's the role for you. You're meant to pray for them. Well, pray for what? I think we're meant to pray for their personal relationship with Jesus. Not judge if we think they have a personal relationship with Jesus or not, but to pray that they might grow in a relationship with Christ, that we might pray for their physical and emotional health and safety, that we might pray for their marriage and their relationship with their kids, just like we'd hope someone would pray for us. Why wouldn't we extend prayers for them? That we might pray that they have wisdom, that, that the fear of the Lord would come upon them when they're making some of the decisions, that we might pray for humility to grow in their hearts. That's a big topic in this current situation with our current leader. Do we want to complain about maybe his lack of humility or should we pray that he grows in humility? See, I I feel like my job in my role here in front of you is to to do nothing other than point you to this and to point you to him. That's it. I'm not here to be here to give you my personal opinions. I'm not here to try to have you subscribe to my line of thinking or to all my great thoughts and processes. No, I'm, I'm just here because I probably have a less of a fear of speaking in public than most of you. <laughs> so my job is to say, hey, look at this. I, I know it offends my heart too, but you got to just look at this. And when you're looking at this, you got to look at him. You got to look at him because he's given us the picture of how we're meant to live at this time. He gives us the manifesto of how we're meant to carry our lives during this time. Is it going to be hard to take time to pray? Yeah, but that's what Paul's saying. I mean, Paul's saying, look at Nero. It almost seems impossible to change him, but what what are we supposed to do? Pray for him. Peter kind of follows this up, and Paul breaks this down in a couple different places, Romans chapter 13 and other writings. But Peter then kind of picks it up in his letter, his first letter in chapter 2, verses 13, where he's going to say, yes, we're meant to pray, but we're also meant to submit to these leaders. I mean, can you think of how Peter's feeling? He's saying, submit to these leaders, and it's that very leader that crucifies Peter because of his belief system. Yet he says we're meant to submit to him. (laughs) 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 14, Peter says, For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state 
or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. And you're thinking, wait, what? I'm not sure I trust them in what they think they're doing and who they're punishing and what they're doing right. But Peter's saying it, it, that doesn't matter. Our job, because we know our king and we already know the kingdom we're part of, we're meant to submit. Well, what does it look like for us? Well, in our system, the greatest way of submitting that we've been afforded is we get the chance to vote. And guess what? If you voted for one guy and that guy didn't win this time, then the guy that's in power now, he's only going to be in power for four more years and you get to vote again. And then if you vote again and that guy gets it again, guess what? In four more years, he won't get a shot again. Like, this is the system that we've been afforded, and we should be thankful for that because I have many friends from countries that they don't get the chance to vote for anything. They just, this has been the guy, and God forbid anyone says anything because they might lose their head. And the only chance to change anything is if we all take to the streets at risk of our own lives to maybe oust him if we got a shot. Yet we have the opportunity in submission to our government and the process that we have that we get to vote. We get to learn. We get to promote others and say, you should go and you should take a shot. You should run for city council. You should be involved in local government. We'll get behind you and we'll vote for you. We get the opportunity that in our submission, we also get called to be involved. So use that opportunity because that's your ability to be a part of and submit to authority by casting your vote. So we pray for those who lead us. We submit to those who lead us. Why? Because we already have our king and we're already in his kingdom. And lastly, we're meant to love those who might vote differently than us. You're like, okay, I'm done. That's it. <laughs> Someone get this guy off the stage. <laughs> Jesus was a big champion of this. In fact, Jesus had a lot of harsh words to say when it came to who you're meant to love. One of them is, mentioned in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, he gives a really interesting picture of what marks you as a child of God. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43. You have heard the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. What's the mark of a true child? Loving our enemies and praying for those that persecute us. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. At which time Matthew's like, yeah, I know, did you have to say tax collector? <laughs> if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different than anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus gives this call saying, you already have your king and I'm it. You're already a part of my kingdom and it's going to reign forever and no one's going to stop that. So your job, don't give in to cancel culture. Live in kingdom culture. Love those that don't think like you. Love those that might not vote like you. Love those that you might think are so far away, you might not ever talk to them ever again because of what their political affiliation is. Love those that aren't like you because that's a picture of the kingdom of God. 
And all of a sudden, we get this image of how we're meant to live during this 2020 time. That we're not meant to be people that quarrel. We're not meant to be people that slander. We're meant to walk in gentleness and humility. And in doing so, we choose to not use our words to tear others down. We choose to use our words to cry out to God on behalf of those that are entrusted with the leadership of our nation. We choose to submit then to their leadership because you know what? You're going to have to anyways. (laughs) And in our submission, we choose to vote and we're active. And above all else, we are the people in our friend groups, at our workplaces, in our communities that choose to extend love when everyone else is canceling. We choose to love those that think different, vote different, have a different perspective. I asked a question last night in Saturday night service. Of course, I had every head bowed and every eyes closed. And I asked, who will vote Democrat? Then I asked, who will vote Republican? Then I asked, who will vote independent or other or not vote at all? And in our church body, it was split almost evenly. Even here, we're different. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands for fear of starting fights between spouses this (laughs) afternoon. But here's the hope. We have our king. We're in his kingdom. And we know the end of the story. (laughs) He wins and he reigns forever. And so because I'm there and I find hope and peace in the midst of this rampant, cancel, almost abusive culture, I have hope because I found myself serving that king in his kingdom. So I will be humble and gentle and I will pray and submit and I will love. Because who's going to create a new way in the midst of this next election year when everyone's fighting, we could stand out and shine brighter than ever before. Because they'll go, wow, I didn't know there were people that could love each other despite their differing political views. And we say, we do. And you know why? Because we all serve the same king. And his name is Jesus, and he wants you in his kingdom too.